Hello and welcome to the Borealis Experience. Today I'm very excited to introduce you to James Olson. He has been through the 12-step program. He has been struggling with addiction for quite some time and was able to recover now. And he will share his story from the sweet and very painful beginnings when he was a school kid and also share his mission in helping and supporting others now. It is very dear to me to speak to people who have gone through that because I feel there's a deep need in society to see that addiction is not a choice. Addiction is a symptom and we have to go down to the root and heal trauma. Thank you so much for listening, James Olson, here with you on the Borealis Experience podcast. Awesome. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, it was it was good to meet you and, and uh, see that we kind of had similar interests, um, mm. kind of um, helping others that, that are struggling in certain ways and, and uh, trying to, um, I guess, better themselves or grow. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, <clears throat> I was... I guess a little background of me is, is, uh, I, um, for most of my earlier part of life, I struggled with addiction and, uh, alcoholism. Um, it was, uh, a very destructive force in my life and, and, um, had a negative fallout on my, on me personally. And, and, uh, um, especially relationships, uh, family, friends, um, girlfriends, things of that nature, uh, children. That was probably the driving force was my relationship with my children um, to change, ultimately change and, and look at recovering or, or, or changing the way that my life was. Um, looking for a new path was uh, the fact that, that uh, um, I was letting down my children as a father. Mm-hmm. So that was the, the, the driving force. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, uh, ultimately what happened was I, I, I ended up joining 12 step programs. Um, things like, uh, AA, um, NA, which is narcotics anonymous, um, CA cocaine anonymous, the things of that nature. I, I used a gamut of, of drugs and alcohol and when I was in my addiction using stages. And so I, I can definitely utilize a lot of different groups. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it, uh, not to blow my own horn or anything, but I, I feel like, um, it was successful. Mm-hmm. Not that I, I'm finished in any way, but, but the, uh, the transition from the way it used to be to what it is now is definitely a huge positive gain or, or growth or, or um, advantage to what it used to be. It's no longer the way it used to be. Um, and uh, I definitely owe those programs and the, the principles and the ideals that they teach kind of in how to live in those programs to the reasoning or the, the factor that my life has gotten better. Mm-hmm. And that I've been able to grow in, in these, these ways and these, these, these directions. 
and uh yeah if you know um, i did part of that those things are that i i share my story and and tell you what it what it used to be like to show that that i was there too what happened you know and what was the changing the transition that that took place and then what it's like now mm-hmm. and uh so to start that you know um what it used to be like was it was not good <laughs> to say the least it was it was hard yes. it was it was rough um and uh part of the the story is that, that it really started early it was long before i ever took my first drink or my first drug or my you know and, and uh it was probably the establishment of a low low self-esteem or or uh low sense of self-value mm-hmm. and those were uh those created long before i ever heard from any sort of addiction or, or alcoholism or anything of those negative it was uh kind of surroundings and coping with surroundings um coping with with things that that projected ideas of of less than mm-hmm. um Part of that story is that that I I suffered from dyslexia, so it was just I just wasn't able to um, read or process um, words or or uh, I didn't have a problem with speech. I had a problem with with reading, literal reading part. It, it didn't. I watched the in school kids around me be able to do it with ease. And it wasn't like that for me. It was very hard and extremely confusing and I couldn't figure it out and I just couldn't grasp. And the, it was so hard that I just, I gave up. But sorry about that. I'm using my phone. So whenever I get a call, it kicks me off. Okay. But um, so we, what, what happened was it was, it was so hard in school to actually read and we you know as anybody knows reading is a fundamental part of education yeah. like that's you need that tool to 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 go forward in education mm-hmm. so when you when you don't have that what it does is is it creates a question why why is this hard for me when it's easy for everyone else yeah. i must be like you know and i think it's small children and and when we don't fit into to boxes that everyone else seems to, it creates an idea that, that I'm less than mm-hmm. I'm not good enough. Mm-hmm. It's just a natural place that our, our young brains take us. We yeah. did, we, we somehow see ourselves as, as, and it established what it did was establish a, a, a poor sense of self, mm-hmm. and which wasn't so, it was just, I was built different than, than others. You know, mm-hmm. and it's a very common thing too. That I think they said one out of five has dyslexia. Mm-hmm. But uh, they, you know, another kind of weird stat is that over fifty percent of males incarcerated in, like, um, the uh, juvenile males incarcerated, over fifty percent of them have dyslexia. Mm-hmm. So it's a very formidable part that I just I don't know if it's being addressed or not you know that that you're sent into a system where where um you have to read to be a part of it and then when you can't you're kind of left at the wayside 
Yeah, you're set up for failure. And as a result. Yeah. Yeah, as a result, you you really, it's, it, it creates beliefs in you, whether, you know, subconsciously or not. It, it, yeah. it really affects people. And, uh, yeah, so that's kind of one of the genesis of, of you know, my, my, um, my poor path choices, I guess, was definitely the, some of the ideals that I believed in back then. Mm-hmm. And so, but I'm, I'm a big believer with every negative, there's positive. Mm-hmm. And part of that positive was I had to, I had, I, I couldn't give up. And, and, and so what I ended up doing was I, I ended up figuring out how to, um, figure things out without reading, you know, where you would look at a newspaper instructions and, you know, gather the information. I had to gather information other ways. A lot of it was pictures. A lot of it was watching others, what they were doing. Um, So it made me hyper um, aware of, of others, my surroundings. It made me, you know, I wasn't able to like, just look at a sign and know what it, you know, the information on it, I had to, to find other ways to gather information. Mm-hmm. And uh, to this day, it serves me well. It's definitely a, an advantage that I have. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a kind of a blessing and disguised in the, the, the hardship. But uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's also in, you know, that to be able to see those advantages in the, in the, the hardship is definitely a byproduct of, of the attitude that I need to possess to get better from my, from my addiction and my, I need to find the positives in, in situations mm-hmm. um, or gratitude. A lot of people see it as gratitude. It's a yeah. fundamental part to, to living a positive life is, is having gratitude. Um, so to go for, you know, and, uh, I guess to continue with my story, I, I, uh, I went on to, um, I think as every young teenager drinking and, and partying and experimenting and from the get go, I liked how it made me feel. I hadn't felt that way. All of a sudden I wasn't worried about feeling less than I wasn't worried that, that you're better than me. I wasn't worried that you were, whatever, you know, I could, I felt equal to you for the first time. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is uh, not, not ever naturally feeling that, that I went overboard with it. So mm-hmm. I was never, I was never a good, I never had, uh, what would you, any sort of self-control when it came to drinking or partying. It was, this feels good. I need more. Give me all of it. I'd like, don't ever make it stop. Mm-hmm. And that, that just, led me down a, a definite, um, you know, um, a rabbit hole that I, I couldn't get myself out of. And it continued, um, straight from when my first time to, to actually my, my first time going into a treatment center. And that was when at the age of, uh, I think 20 or 21. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't remember, but, uh, around that area, around that time, um, and I went in that, uh, I was dating a girl at the time and, and she, had, she had approached my parents and said, you know, James has a problem. 
he's, you know, I think his drinking's out of control. What can we do about it? Uh, my dad was a nurse at the time. He looked into it and found me a treatment center. Um, this was all done without me knowing. Uh, uh, I think I came home for like a Sunday dinner one time and my girlfriend and my parents basically added uh, uh, intervention on me and uh, said, Hey, you got a problem that, you know, your dad's uh, set up this, this facility that you need to go to and spend a couple weeks there and address this, this out of control drinking. You're, you're ruining everything, you know, and thank God that I had a loving family that, that did something like that. Yeah. And um, so, you know, it, it, I went off, I did, I did the, the treatment. It would think it was a three week t- treatment. Um, it was in Claire's home. Um, and I, I sobered up. Um, I, uh, I quit drinking. I, I, I grabbed on and I, I liked what they talked about. I like, you know, I, I, I wanted to change. I could see, you know, I could see that I needed to change, but, um, I just didn't know enough about addiction and, and the fact that wanting to change isn't enough, mm-hmm. that, that seeing the problem isn't enough, that I need to, the idea is you need to commit to a new way of life. Mm-hmm. And that means, you know, at any cost, mm-hmm. it has to become the most important thing in your life. And so <clears throat> when I got out of the, the, the treatment center, I, 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 uh, I just, I tried to change everything. Like, um, I was still in the blame blaming. I, I, I'm in the wrong city. I'm with the wrong girl. If, if I, I I had got the the wrong job. So I changed all those things thinking that, that if I changed those things, Mm -hmm. then I, I, I would, you know, I just had to, you know, I speak of it. Like I tried everything. I just had to combination. So I needed to adjust everything around me and then I would become better. Mm-hmm. So I, I moved to a different town. I broke up with that girl. I got another job and for a while it worked, but the problem was it was, I was still there. Mm-hmm. I was the problem and I just changed things around me without changing myself. Yeah. So um, I think I stayed sober for, but a year or so, uh, think a little bit over a year maybe. And, um, yeah, I started hanging out with new people started, you know, um, these new people in the new town. I, I, I think a factor of uh, somebody that's struggling is we attract like-minded people. So like once again, I ended up with people that wasn't used. Mm-hmm. And uh, I kind of graduated. I I wasn't drinking, but all of a sudden in the big city and and being a small town kids, I, I was introduced to these these drugs and and that kind of lifestyle. And uh, once again, I felt something that I I was longing for acceptance and and kind of feeling good about myself. And um, yeah, I went I went pretty wild with that. Um, I guess the difference is with uh, drinking and and front going to to drugging is is that uh, it's 
it gets financially hefty quick with drugs. The money adds up fast. Drinking, it doesn't seem to do that. You, You go to the bar, have a, you know, a long drawn out night and you might've spent a hundred bucks a night of drugging where you're talking, you can rack up thousands of things. It's not even the same ball game. And so I ran into financial problems quick. Mm -hmm. And in in order to solve those, um, I found somebody that was willing to, to let me sell, sell their drugs for them to pay for my own. Mm -hmm. And, uh, the problem is, is I'm an addict and I have no manage, no money managing skills. And I got into problems in that situation as well. But those were really big problems. And um, I had some scary people that I owed some scary numbers to. And um, yeah, out of desperation. Um, so this would have been, I guess, a, almost a 10-year span. Mm-hmm. And so I, I believe I was just under 30 when I, I uh, was in a pretty scary situation. Basically, um, some people came to me and they met business and said, you, this is the number that you owe us and you have this amount of time to pay and left it at that. And I knew what they meant, that my number was up unless I got this, this money to them. And... Um, I was, I was scared. I was, uh, um, I kind of went pretty just to a dark place. It was like, well, I'm not going to let them take me out. I'll, I'll take myself out. And I ended up standing on the edge of a bridge and I uh, was trying to get the guts to basically throw myself off this bridge and I couldn't do it. I was, I was a wimp <laughs> and thank God for it. But I returned to my apartment. Um, I was dating a girl at the time. I broke down and told her what had happened and what I would just come back from. And she took me to, she was from Lethbridge as well. She took me to Lethbridge and, and uh, I think it was a couple days after that, she went to Lethbridge and ended up in her living, her parents' living room. And they sat me down and said, you know, this girl, our daughters told us what is going on with you. And we want to help you. We're willing to lend you this money to, to get you out of this situation. But here's a contract we've drawn, we've drawn up. And it states that you're going to pay us back all this money in this amount of time. And that part of the contract is you're going to go to, to treatment again. And you're going to get clean and sober. And so, you know, I signed, you know, absolutely. I'll definitely do that. I'm, I'm open to that. So I signed, you know, signed it and, got these, these people off my back and, uh, went to treatment again, once again. And then, uh, um, it was a good experience, but the problem was I didn't do it for myself. I did it to appease them. Mm -hmm. I wasn't really in the mind state to, to fix, to fix me for me. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I would, I went and, and did, you know, and I, I sobered up, but then to pay back the money that, you know, her parents had lent me, I went back to those guys and started selling again, but I wasn't using. <laughs> so I, you know, I started selling drugs again, um, 
made the money back really fast. Like it was a world of difference when, you know, when I'm not high and not using, I was, I was really good at it. And, but the problem is I'm back in that life. I'm around those people. I paid, I paid those, I paid her parents off like in a quarter of the time that I was, they had allotted me to, um, but I was back in that life. And, uh, Again, once again, it led me down the, the same road. I ended up using again, and and uh, uh, kind. Of, I never went back to the the problematic or the chaos that I was once at. But I was definitely in. Uh, I wasn't. I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't living a healthy lifestyle. Let's just say that it was still a lot of turmoil, a lot of a lot of heartbreak, a lot of you know just just rough times. And, um, yeah, I was trying to, you know, I, like I said, I was trying to figure out the combination of like, what can I do? How can I make it better? What, what am I missing? What's, what's not lining up? And I just couldn't put the pieces together. And, and, and I ended up meeting this, this girl and, and, uh, she really believed in, me. she believed in me when I couldn't believe myself. And I was super attracted to that. I don't think I was attracted to her as much as I was attracted to the way that she saw me or felt about me. And, and, and so I was, she was someone that he knew from, from my using life and she had got herself clean. Mm. And part of the deal was, do you want to date me? You need to, to get, take care of you, this problem and get clean and, and sober. And so I did, I quit the, I got rid of the drugs, but I continued to drink and I wasn't good at drinking either, but I, I, I tried to maintain it. And, and so we started, we ended up starting a family. I, I married her. We started a family and, and I, I, I just kept throwing things at this, this, this problem. I would get it. I would get this, this woman's going to fix it. No, she didn't fix it. I'm still having issues in my drinking. Well, I'm going to get a good career. I did that. And I tried to, you know, that didn't help. I still was having issues with my, my drinking and my party. Well, I'm going to have kids then I threw kids at it. And the thing was that, that I tried to, I thought that if I checked off all the boxes to what society said is successful, then I would be, I would be fixed. Mm-hmm. So I kept checking them off. I got married. I got, I had kids. We bought the house. We, we bought all the toys. The problem was, is that I was still sick. I was still, I was still troubled. I was still, I never fixed. It's like, um, uh, you know, it's, it's like putting a bandaid over a bullet wound. Mm-hmm. It's just not going to get better. Mm-hmm. Right. You're, you're not doing, you, you got to go to the source of the problem. I was the source. So ultimately what ha- ended up happening was, you know, we were together for 14 years. We had four kids together and, and then, and then I, I, I imploded again. I never, I, I never addressed the, the actual problem. The problem was me. And I ended up getting, it was, you know, I think I put together three years. I, like my drinking got to a point where she was like, you need to stop drinking or I'm leaving. I'm like, okay. And I think I put together three years of just like will, but I was an awful person. I was miserable. 
Mm. So that's how I knew I had a problem. It, was, it wasn't actually drinking because when I took the drinking away, then I became a very miserable person. Like the problems didn't go away just because, I, you know, I'm the problem mm-hmm. until I fix me. The, it almost gets, you know, drinking and drugging was a symptom of my problem. Yes. That was kind of, that was kind of the cure to my problem. Yeah. Because whenever I drank or used drugs, yes, I felt better. Like, but the problem is that that, that cured to, to me or my issue or I felt using those drugs that cured and being another additional problem to the problem. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when I lost, I lost my marriage, I lost my kid, you know, I just wasn't a fit father. I was, she wasn't allowed to see my kids. Um, I ended up losing my job. I was working in a coal, coal mine operating huge trucks and, uh, I had a safety infraction and they ended up having to do a urine test on me and uh, it didn't turn out good. I, I think I, 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 they identified four different substances in my urine on that test and I ended up losing my job. Yeah. <laughs> um, part of the stipulation of losing my job was that um, I could go, I could just, be done with them or address the problem and go and go to what is called uh, an addiction analysis. It's a company that, that they send you to, they have a psychologist, a nurse and an addiction specialist speak with you kind of interview and see if you have addiction problems or if you were just, this is a one, one and done type thing. You know, they, they want to know if you, you have the, the addiction personality. Well, the problem was that I'd been through treatment twice already. I knew what they were looking for. I spoke their language. I understood what they were trying to look for, symptoms, and I was going to just bullshit my way through. I was going to say I went to a party. I was having a rough night, and I these guys offered me this stuff, and I did it. I I don't do it normally. I've never done it. I just I was going to lie, and I was going to get off the hook. So I think it was a Tuesday, it was a long weekend and I had made it an appointment after the long weekend to go that Tuesday to Calgary and get it, this, this addiction analysis done. And my plan was I was going to bullshit my way through and kind of get them off my back. Well, that weekend was also my son's birthday party in Lethbridge on the Saturday. And so I went down early. A friend of mine in in Lethbridge had said, "Why don't you come over?" I was I was in BC. Well, I was working in BC, so um, he said, "Come early. We'll you know we're, we'll have a house party, and then um, you can go to your son's birthday and do whatever." So uh, I came that Thursday night. And I didn't leave that house till Monday morning. I missed my son's fifth birthday party and it devastated me. I was, I was, it uh, rocked me pretty hard. I was, I was tired. I was tired of being a disappointment and I disappointed my son. So as a result of that, um, 
I did, I changed my mind. I was like, I'm going to go to this. I'm going to this addiction analysis tomorrow and I'm going to tell them everything. I'm going to be honest and let the chips fall where they may. I'll just, I'm, I need change. <clears throat> and I, I knew enough that, that, um, being honest was the doorway to that. And so when I went up there, I just told them the truth about what was going on in my life. And, um, they, <laughs> they all kind of looked at me and said, you, you're, you're, you've got a problem. You're a classic addict. Um, let's start you off with, you need to go and find a meeting in your hometown. Can I, can I add something there? So they found out that you're an addict and they made you feel shitty on top of that, or were they somewhat compassionate? They were compassionate, but they didn't hide the the truth of it. It was they were blunt. Mm -hmm. They were we've this is a classic addiction behavior. Um we need to set up a a, a um process to address this. Mm -hmm. And so the first thing they told me to do was to go home, find a, a meeting, go and start using these, utilizing these meetings. Mm -hmm. And I, I went home and I was mad. I didn't want to go. I, I'd gone to these, you know, after treatment, they said, you should try to find a meeting and go to a meeting. And I was, I just didn't see the value in it. One of the, the, most common feelings or identifications with personal identification, like how you identify yourself as an addict or an alcoholic is I'm different. I'm different. I'm different. You know, an example is you ask any addict, do you follow the speed limit? 90% of them are saying, no, that's for the rest of the world. I'm a good driver. I drive way over the like that's for the people that don't know how to drive i'm different i do i do it this way then you say when you take tylenol how many do you take do you take the recommended dose no i know what i can use i that's not good enough i take six you know like that's that's our attitude and it's very common in addicts and, and it's just we just don't we are unwilling to get it into this box Because we've identified that those boxes never work. We, exactly. We're never, yeah. So it's it's fundamental in us that we don't identify with anybody else's controls. Those yeah. are the rest of the population. We're different. We do it our own way, and it's it it will kill us. That that i that idea in us and that mm -hmm. fundamental way of of seeing ourselves differently ultimately will kill us. Can I add something? Because yes. But your baby brain, yeah, your brain was not developed back then when you entered the school system. Your baby brain was destroyed. Your confidence was destroyed and you were shown Absolutely. you don't fit in. So, of course, you yeah. run through life knowing and feeling that you don't fit in. So this has to be addressed. And it's it's natural that addicts feel that way because they were made felt that way when they were uh, still growing 
their brain cells. So it's like. Absolutely. Ah. Uh, and the worst part about society is unless you learn to climb it, because society has built these boxes everywhere. Mm -hmm. Employment, education systems, financial systems. Yeah. Unless you figure out how to get into, make yourself fit in these boxes because they're everywhere. Mm -hmm. you're just not going to fit into society mm -hmm. and not fitting into society is a hard way to live. Oh yeah. And it's just going to appropriate behaviors like addiction. Yeah, like, that's to. how I function. You have to. Right? Not I, I don't, yeah, I don't fit into society, but so this is what I do as an, as an alternate. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I use alcohol. I use drugs to, to, to feel like I fit in. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's an idea that, that, and, and it, I guess the beautiful part about a 12 step program is it is, it's a box. Mm -hmm. And until you figure out how to fit into their parameters or live this way of life, it's not going to work, but they teach you how to, climb in and, and and give you a slow entry whereas usually society doesn't take their time with that but that's one of the fundamental parts of a 12-step program is learning how to adapt to principles and ways of living mm -hmm. and one of the biggest fundamentals is living life on life's terms that's a hard idea to wrap around mm -hmm. but it's it's one of the fundamental of a 12-step program is, is accepting life for the way it is and letting it letting it be not always having to change it because mm -hmm. i have a, a real a real addiction to i call it jamesing things i adjust things i tweak things to fit me i never fit the situation i like to i like to adjust things or or tweak things that it fits my wants and desires. I don't fix my wants and desires to fix things naturally. But this, what I've learned through these programs is how to adjust myself to fit in to situations and, and, and ideals and, and, and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. And that, that's really helped me a lot. And is there also a part in the program where it is about self-acceptance and, and finding your core again, starting to love yourself? Or is it, again, too much maybe trying to fit in and to please and to, to adapt instead of going inside and see, hey, this is how beautiful and unique I am and this is what I can bring to the table. Like, do they bring you back to yourself too or do they just want to fit back in? Well, we have, it's funny that you bring that up. We have a, a, a mantra or saying in uh, some of these groups and it's, it's that we are, we are fatally unique. That's our problem. We're so, so unique that it's killing us. Mm -hmm. So we don't really, it's, we have to be careful with that. Yeah. Because, and and I'll, I'll tell you why. Sorry. Um, is that we won't follow 
these simple steps because we're so unique. We need to change them to fit us. Mm -hmm. They were built for everybody else. Mm -hmm. And that's our biggest problem is that we've never followed any anything to, to code. We've always tweaked them a little bit to fit our wants and needs because we were, we see ourselves as unique. It's the only way we identify it, but it's not so. Sorry, I'm getting my phone's blown up. Um, so what it's not that, that we don't love ourselves. What we're taught is how to love ourselves properly. Mm-hmm. Because what we used to do is anything that felt good, we thought we loved ourselves by getting it. I, I thought loving myself was taking myself out for a $100 meal, taking myself to That's what's up. Self-love, if you really analyze it, is about the long game and not the immediate game. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is saying no to that pizza because you know it's going to make you feel like shit. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that you can't get in your pants two weeks down the road. Or it's going to make you feel good right now, but it's not going to make you feel good in the long run. Mm-hmm. That, that, that bland tasting meal, rather, is a better way to do this. Because in the long run, it's going to pay off. Or not buying that new pair of shoes because you you need to save up and have some savings and feel financially independent. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't really need that. Mm-hmm. But it'll make you feel good right now. But, oh, like the long run, it's not going to. Mm-hmm. It would make you feel better to have that, that amount in your bank account mm-hmm. where if something did happen, you know, that you have a, you have a, a lifeline to, to, to address it. Mm-hmm. You know, those ideas, those are the ideas that we need, those are the principles that we need to live by, mm-hmm. you know, that, that um, it's more important to show up every day than showing up for a week locked. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's like going to the gym. Mm-hmm. If you go to the gym and you hit the gym once a month, like crazy and you lift hard and you go hard for three hours. And then the guy that went every day for half an hour, that guy that went for half an hour every day and you went once a month and worked really hard, he's going to have better results every single time. Yeah. And that's part of life showing up to life every day and just get doing the best you can do. If, even if it's a little bit every day, is far out going to the results are going to be way better than if, if you show up once a week and, and go hard. Yes. It's about consistency. Mm-hmm. And that, that's, that's where true, that's, that's actual self-love mm-hmm. is doing the hard things because you know, it's better for you, yeah. not doing what feels good. Yeah. And I think a lot of people get confused on that. Mm-hmm. No, totally right. And, um, so it's definitely, you know, it's, it's, um, it's one of those things where it's a, it's, you got to buy into it. This mm-hmm. is a box that will save your life. You just have to buy into it and, and give it your all. Mm-hmm. And uh, my life has definitely changed for the better because I figured out how to live life on life's terms on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. I just, 
it's something I work at. Yeah. And I, I've picked up these tools and, and, and um, if anybody is struggling with anything like this and, and wants to get a hold of me and wants to learn about these things and, and, and is in, interested in changing their lives in a positive way, I'll leave my number with you and they can contact you. And, and uh, I'm always open to, to talking with people and, and helping. It's uh, one of the... One of the beliefs we have is that the only way that we keep what we have is we, by giving it away. And that just means being a helpful hand. And so, yeah. So, yeah. If, uh, if any of your listeners want to get a hold of me, uh, I'll have, let them know that they can get a, a hold of you. And, and uh, I'll leave my name and number with you. And they can definitely get a, get a hold of me. I'm willing to help. Thank you so much, James. Like, I feel you went so deep with your story and um, so very relatable for, for everybody is, who's listening here. And you are unique. You are incredibly unique. And I know if you continue on that journey, you can help so many more people because counseling and psychotherapist is good. But those people sometimes didn't went through the struggle and you did go through the yeah. struggle. So you meet people on yeah. the same level and you take their hand and walk the way together with them. Um, and this is just, yeah, endlessly precious. Thank you so much for your time. Awesome. Um, well, thank you for yes. talking with me. Yeah, and I feel we have so much more to talk. If you feel the same, we can make it a, a second uh, episode sometime soon. Um, Absolutely. For now, I'll be editing this. Um, I will post it on my Facebook and you feel free to spread it around and have it Perfect. on Facebook too. And we'll add your phone number and your name. Yeah. Thank you so awesome. much. Hey, guys and girls. I hope you enjoyed this episode with James Olson and myself. Feel free to reach out to me if you want his phone number, if you want to connect with him you can also connect with me on facebook or instagram and yeah we can help you out or you can help other people out in spreading this message around and making other people feel less lonely make other people feel okay with their situation and as hopeless as it feels there's people out there who can and want to support you on your journey Thank you for listening to the Borealis Experience, your host, Aurora.